nice to see everybody this morning. Uh, welcome to all of you. Uh, a special welcome to those of you who are new or visiting. Uh, we would love to get to know you better. Uh, my name is Pastor Matt. I'm the pastor of worship and operations. Um, and I just was remarking as I was worshiping over those last few songs, what, what a radical thing it truly is that we gather to make Jesus our king, where we push back against the darkness of this world by declaring that Jesus is king over us, that he is our Lord. There is a battle in this world for the hearts and minds of people, and there is a force very real and present that wants to turn our eyes away from Jesus and onto ourselves. So, even as we all got dressed and got out of the house this morning to come here, we are, we are fighting a holy battle that only through Jesus can we be, be victorious and are victorious through him. So, it's just remarkable to hear all of us singing together with one voice. Um, and I think Bernadette said it well in her prayer that our affections for one another would continue to grow. And if you are new or visiting here, uh, believe me that the, the affections and love that we have for one another here at Terranova Church is special. It truly is. So, um, one thing that I wanted to start off with our sermon uh, this morning before we hop into our brand new series is just to acknowledge that uh, Pastor Daniel, uh, this is his first Sunday of his sabbatical that he'll be on for four months where he will be taking time set apart uh, with the Lord to just, uh, again, just regenerate his affections and his focus towards the Lord and to have some well-deserved respite for him and his family. So um, I would like us to actually start by praying uh, for the Williams family. Um, I, would, I would urge you all to pray for Pastor Daniel, especially every single day throughout this time, that this time would be spent well and that he would be protected and covered and just that this would be a rejuvenating time. So let's just take one minute in silent prayer and then I'll say amen and then we'll jump in. Amen. All right, so today we start a new series. It's called The One Another's. We've spent the last two and a half years or so journeying through the Gospel of Matthew where we've been studying really theologically studying the life and work of Jesus as we read in that gospel. And now we're going to shift into a series where we're going to talk about how to live the things that Jesus lived and to live the things that he commanded us to. There's about 60 times, 59 to be exact, all uh, in the New Testament phrases that say, do such and such to one another. So this would be a very action-based sermon series. Jesus doesn't want us to become believers by saying a, a sinner's prayer and then put up our feet, put on the Jesus jersey, and just sit on the bench and wait till he comes back. That's not what he wants us to do. And that's why we see so many one another's in the New Testament, because Jesus calls us to go. And as Christians, a Christian is a Christ follower, okay? So, if we are following somebody, we're, we're going from one place to another. 
When Jesus left, when Jesus rose from the dead in glory and he left and ascended back into heaven, he gave us the great commission where he says, go and make disciples of all nations. So we're going to spend the next uh, couple months here learning about what that means to go and follow in Jesus' footsteps. Jesus teaches us that as, as kingdom members in the center of this still broken and still dark world, he actually tasks us as agents of Christ to be, to be salt and light and to be agents of restoration in this world. This is a very high calling, friends. But we are not without help. As members of the body of Jesus, or what we call the church, we are empowered and equipped by the Spirit of the living God who He pours out in us. Jesus left and ascended to the Father, to the Father so that He would equip us with His Spirit. Jesus goes to reign in heaven next to the Father so that He can equip us and pour His Spirit out on His people to be His hands and feet. Think about that. This was His plan. It's an incredible truth. John 14, 12 says, this is Jesus' words, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is probably one of my favorite portions of Scripture, John 14, 15, and 16, but it's actually one of the hardest Scriptures for me to get my mind around. Do we actually really believe what Jesus is saying here? That because Jesus goes and ascends, He leaves us with His abiding Spirit so that we can be equipped to be His hands and feet in the world. Incredible words. But before we get going here today, I, I must ask us, we have to search ourselves and see where we need to repent from the places that we've tried to do the works of Jesus out of our own strength, and where we've actually treated the church as kind of a social club and not really actually the heartbeat and abiding, the heartbeat and abiding presence of holy God. We need to repent of the places where we've tried to make our own kingdoms the center of our lives and not the kingdom of Jesus. And let me go first and say, Jesus, I repent for being afraid. I repent of not having faith. I repent of not trusting you and believing in your power. Let's all be doing that as we seek to be more like Jesus today. And it might feel like um, Pastor Matt's already off on a tangent this morning. I'm not. Because I want us, as we go into a sermon that's a little bit more action-based, application-based, we must understand that without the Holy Spirit in us, we can't and we won't live the way that Christians are called to live based on the life and commands of Jesus. We just won't. 
we can't be living for the kingdom of this world and at the same time be living for the kingdom of God. We try, but it doesn't work very well. And as I mentioned earlier, there's a force of evil in this world called Satan that wants us all to fail at the path that we have set for us. So with confidence, but also with holy fear and humility, let us ask God who gives abundantly to fill us, to empower us, and just make us have a desire to live the way Jesus does. So who's ready? You ready? Come on. All right. So we're going to sum up today our series in one word love. Just like I was saying in order that to do the works that Jesus demonstrated for us and commanded us, we need the Spirit, and Jesus pours His Spirit out on us out of love. Jesus created this world. He created the cosmos out of love for us. Jesus came in the flesh to buy our salvation, driven by love. And none of the one another's we are going to study over the next two months can happen apart from love being the root of all of them. So let's talk about that right now. So our big idea this morning is that as the church, we are called to live by the example of Jesus in obedience to his authority in order to care for one another and display his love at work. So, we should always start with Jesus. When you're wondering where to go and what to do, Theology 101 says that God is smart. I'm not as smart as he is, so I should ask him for wisdom. That's Theology 101. Okay, so let's look at Jesus as we did over the last two and a half years, okay? Let's look back at Jesus and keep him at our, uh, in front of us and look at how Jesus is the king of love, he shows us his rule and reign as our king of love in three ways. That he is humble, he's present, and he is sacrificial. Three things. Humble, present, and sacrificial. Of course he's more things. But for today's purposes, we'll break it down into those three. So, first, humble. Jesus says our humble king reached a dark place. He reached a sinful place. He came to reach his children that were blind and wandering away from God's rule and their own passions and their own desires. And he came to us. He had to come to that place and he had to humble himself to come into that place so that we could see him. He did not come as a bludgeoning authoritarian, but he came as a man and started his life as a baby. He didn't just come in a humble character, but he literally came in a humble state. He came to a, a place of nobodies, a place that was forgotten and overlooked. He humbled himself in order to reach those that were lost. And during his life, he humbly submitted not only to Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents, but he humbled himself to the will of the Father, even to the extent of dying. In the garden, which we read a couple weeks ago, he prays this prayer, Not my will, Father, but your will be done. 
He was humble in appearance. The ancient Near East had this thing about a king had to look like a king. Had to be tall and gruff and super good looking. But Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says this about the Messiah. He says this in 50, uh, chapter 53. He says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. And he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. The king of love, Jesus, reigns us in humility. Next, the king of love reigns with us in being present. He did life with people consistently. Imperfect people, to be exact, like you and I. Jesus isn't a king of, of intimidation, but even though he is the holiest of holy, he's still present with us. In the Old Testament, we read that God tabernacled with his people. So, in order for them to be with God and for his presence to be with them, he, had to, he found the place to dwell in a tabernacle. And the law taught us how to interact with and dwell with a holy God. But we read in the New Testament that Jesus reestablishes his covenant with us and reestablishes his presence with us by Jesus becoming that presence and bringing that presence down and tabernacling with us fully and unveiled, unleashed to the world. John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us, same word, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus comes to be our King and not, not simply to rule over us, but to be our friend. To intimately know us, to be known, to walk with us and be present. He did life closely with 12 people for three years, teaching them, encouraging them, admonishing them, serving them, knowing them, and also making himself known. When we think of the word king, we think of our own royalty that exists in the world, and, or maybe a celebrity or something. We kind of obsess over these people because we don't feel like we're on their level. Like we can't really associate with, it, with them and their level, and we don't have access to them, so they're kind of somewhat of an anomaly in our brains. But that's not the case with our King, Jesus. He is fully present with us in his abiding presence. Finally, the King of love reigns by being sacrificial. Seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? For a king to choose to be meek and made weak and vulnerable but not to Jesus. In his kingdom, in the kingdom of love, love rules by showing sacrifice. Matthew 8, 20 says that, and Jesus said to them, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Let's look at the practical first. 
The guy was homeless. He gave up a wife and a family, home, property, to be on mission for his father. And ultimately, he sacrifices his life, the greatest display of love the world has ever known. Our king who meekly abstains from his rightful power, he gives that up to hang on a cross and be killed. Again, this is not something that an earthly king does. An earthly king would use his power to defeat the enemy and to win. I remember when uh, two weeks ago when Gage Berlin, when we were watching his testimony video, he was talking about, it's just kind of an amazing thing that Jesus would die for us. And, and, and uh, my favorite quote from that was, in our world, nobody would do that. King Jesus uses love and sacrifice to defeat death and to reign in power over us. So let's talk a little bit about the kingdom. Let's switch gears, um, looking at our king of love, and now we're going to look at the kingdom of love. We throw this term around a lot, and I want to be sure that we understand what it means so that we can understand deeper what we're going to be learning in this new series. The kingdom of God is the reign and rule that Jesus brings when he comes. It is what John the Baptist says in Matthew 3 when, when, he, when Jesus shows up and when John correctly sees who he, ha- who he is as Messiah, comes and announces, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus brings his kingdom and brings his rule and reign. The kingdom of God is a place where everything is in subjection to our loving God. All of heaven's rules are in authority, and we are all underneath our loving Father, like it was one day in the garden. So Jesus brings this good news of salvation He brings this good news of the gospel. He gives us life through himself. He gives us place to dwell with followers in the church, and he gives us meaning. He says, go and do. This kingdom he brings, and it exists here today, yes. However, we still live in a world filled with sin. However, The kingdom exists in you and I that are following Jesus, and it is our job, we are tasked to be agents of the kingdom and to bring, through the fruits of the Spirit, to bring good news to those that don't know and to operate as the hands and feet of Jesus day by day, restoring this world until that final day that Jesus comes back and completes that work. To where heaven will fully be on earth and the kingdom will reign and there will be no sin and there will be no darkness anymore. So the here and now, this is you and I today, the church. We live in this reality and we follow the word of Jesus and we follow his commands and we submit to his authority. And so we live and exist in this world that's reigned by another king, but we live and act and we live and work every day under Jesus' authority over us. This is hard work. 
And part of the encouragement of the fellowship of believers that we have here as the church is that we're reminded of what we are on mission for. We're reminded who our king is. And we live each day to know and love and serve Jesus. This is, this is exciting. I know we, we throw this out a lot, but if we really think hard about this and dwell in this, this is exciting work. Some of you know the um, psychologist and writer Jordan Peterson. He's a, he's a figure many of us have heard from. And, um, he's, not a, he's not a believer as far as we can tell, but once in a while he'll say things that shows a secular view of the church that shows an, an infatuation and kind of a wonderment over who these Christians are. And he says this, he says, there isn't any responsibility more compelling than trying to aid things in the manifestation of their divine form. That should be an adventure. Is it for you? You and I who are following Jesus, we have this adventure because we're asked to do something that in and of ourselves we're not able to do, we're not equipped to do. We are asked to live in such a way that grates against current culture. We are asked to look towards the unseen and to bring about the kingdom in everyday things and to show God's beautiful design in all things. That is something exciting to get behind and to get out of bed for every morning. Amen? So this kingdom is unique and it doesn't work like this world. And it's not about coercion or power or money or territory or legislation or social ideas like our, kingdom, like our earthly kingdoms work. Again, Jesus commands us not to cower and comply, but he commands us to love. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 36, 39, he says, um, the Pharisees ask him, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus says to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So as we spend the next couple weeks figuring out how it is we ought to love one another, I wanted to do that work ahead of time so that we have a firm foundation, that we're reminded of a firm foundation as we go in to the next few weeks. If you would like to, uh, we're actually uh, close to the end of our message, so don't think that I'm just starting now that that wasn't just like an intro. Um, but if you would like to open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, 8 to 11, this is going to be our foundational scripture for the entire series. Might I even encourage you, adults and children alike, but especially the Naos kids in here, this would be a great verse to memorize, a couple verses to memorize. I mean, anything in the Bible is great to memorize. But as we do this series, this would be a wonderful thing to memorize and, and just commit to knowing by heart. All right, so it's up on the screen, but if you'd like to read along in your Bibles, you can do that too. So here we go. 1 Peter 4, 8 to 11 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, 
since love covers over a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So just a couple things from this scripture that we'll pull out. First one is, above all, love. Above all. Similar to Jesus saying that the greatest commandment is love, we start this verse by, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. What does earnestly mean? Earnestly is doing something with intense conviction. He doesn't say just think about love. He says do it. This isn't a passive love. Next verse down. As, as each has received, we all have gifts to share in many forms. And Peter lists a couple of these here. I'm sorry, Paul lists a couple of these here. <laughs> And these are received, serving, teaching, speaking, hospitality, etc. Remember, as we live unto one another, that the gifts and the grace that we've received are just that. They're gifts. It's nothing that we have in and of ourselves. They're things that we are given by God. And again, let's be reminded that we do all of these things in the strength that God provides and supplies. We can't and we won't love the way God has called us to love apart from His Spirit dwelling in us. And finally, this passage finishes with all things to His glory. All things be to His glory. The world is out for its own glory. You and I, apart from Christ, we're out for our own glory. But the kingdom of God is for God's glory. To him be the only one whom glory really is owed to the glory of Christ. Now, I want to acknowledge something here um, as we close. Uh, and we're gonna, I'm just going to talk through... The next six weeks, I'm going to give you uh, all of the, in order of the sermons that we're going to go, and you can jot down some scripture references and kind of read ahead and be prepared for the upcoming sermons. But I want to acknowledge something here that it's not like we don't see these one another's we're going to talk about. It's not like we don't see these things in the world. Okay, there's a lot of really great charitable organizations and people that probably love far better and, and more incredibly than, than we do. Um, there are people that just generally have a love for one another and serve sacrificially. So I, I, I don't want to pretend that this, this happens only in the church. Okay, but what I do want us to focus on is the difference in loving within the church according to how Jesus tells us, 
and loving outside the church and, and really perpetuating the kingdom of the world. So let me, tell, let me explain what I mean here, because there are some fundamental differences. Um, I was talking through this fact with, with Pastor Paul Gordon from North Adams, Terra Nova, and, and he said this with, with eloquence and simplicity that I just couldn't, so I'm just going to quote him. He would, he would hate, he would totally hate me for doing this. He totally would. He always tells you, just steal it. I don't need to have, but Paul's a really wise guy, so I'm going to actually quote him today. Um, he says this, he says, these one another's aren't absent in other communities, but the level to which we commit to them in depth is to be the deepest and most enduring within the church, and that we strive for depth in all of these, not a select few, is unique to the church community as well. Other communities may value love, but diminish exhortation, or they may value forgiveness, but diminish confession. You see where we're going with this? I do think that this series is so important because we do see love, we do see service, we do see one another resembled in the world. However, if we're doing them the way the world does them, they're at best a veneer of the real thing. We all know that the word love in our culture today can mean something completely different than what we would say love is, yes? Love is love, right? Careful, no it's not. Confession is some, something that a lot of people do, like saying something you did wrong, but confession that doesn't lead ultimately to repentance is just perpetuating chronic guilt, is it not? Serving others, expecting to be served or compensated is just a workspace salvation. Comforting others, absent from the truth of God, the, the, the truth that will actually save us and will actually comfort us and actually turn us back from ourselves to Him. Comforting others without that truth is just feeding our self-obsession and emotionalism. So be careful that we do these things unto one another as Christ would. So what are these one another going to cover? I'm going to do a quick flyby of all of them read one sentence about them all, and then we will close our time and go to a time of communion. So we're going to start um, next week with confess to one another. We're starting with a, with a tough one, confess to one another, because it's so important. Repentance is the start of any, anything that you want God to see do differently in your life. Start with repentance. It's like a really easy place to go. I mean, it's hard, <laughs> But if you're, I just don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Start with repentance, okay? And part of that is repenting to one another, confessing our sins to one another. Okay, so we'll look at James 5, 16. So when we confess to one another, we bring our sin into the light, and we are, we are able to live in the light and not in our secrets, and it kills the guilt in our lives. Next week, we'll go to comfort one another, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 11. Um, that in our affliction we receive the comfort of God. And we are to comfort one another with the same comfort that we have received. Because often tangibly we, receives God, we receive God's comfort through the encouragement and the comfort of others, don't we? The next week we'll go to forbear with. 
Colossians 3.13, we will talk about carrying one another's burdens to help us see Jesus' plan for discipleship. We'll look at live at peace with, Romans 12, 13 to 19. Even within the church, surprise, surprise, we have differing opinions, and we have different affinities. And we must learn to maintain unity and peace on the important things, and to show, be a, be a beacon on a hill, and show the world that it's Christ's love that binds us together, not by political party, or affinity, or age, or culture. Next, we'll look at encouraging one another, and the other side of that coin to admonish. We'll look at what those, uh, how those things are the same and different, because we know that there's information being spewed all over every day, and we hear false teaching, we hear half-truths, and let us as the church correct each other, with care, so admonish each other with care, and point one another back to Jesus and encourage us to keep our eyes focused on Him. Then we'll look at, uh, finally, we'll look at serve, to serve. We talk about that all the time. We're going to go deep on this. Galatians 5.13, as a church, we are called to serve the church. We're called to serve one another. God has designed it in such a way that we, you and I, are an essential piece in carrying out the mission of the gospel. Jesus chooses you and I, and part of that is serving the body. So uh, we'll have the band come up, and we'll continue in our time of worship. But I'm excited for this series, and, and I'm already humbled because I look at all of these one another's, and I just think, goodness gracious, how I fail at these things. But as I say that, let me preach to myself as well as you that that's a rotten place to start, isn't it? You and I are capable, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to do these things. Sure, we're not always good at them. Sure, we fall short and we sin, but we are not sinners. We are those that struggle with sin. Because you are covered by the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And he has poured out his spirit on you to equip you to do these things. So let's be sons and daughters of King Jesus and be filled. Be filled to overflowing with his spirit so that he can equip us to do these works. The church isn't just a building that we attend. It's a collective group of people. It's a living organism. So as you come to the table... Let us um, allow these elements of poured out wine and, and broken matzah to, to remind us that we are all different and unique, and there's, there's many pieces, but they've all come from one piece of bread. We are many people. There are many grapes on a vine, yet they are crushed and poured into one vessel for all. There is unity in the table. There's a remembrance of we're only here and gathering because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because he broke his body and poured himself out for us. But the symbolism as us being an eclectic community of people, unified, 
by our one Jesus. Be reminded of that as you come forward today to receive communion. Let me pray for us. God Almighty, we approach you with humility, but we approach you with confidence because you showed that by being present that you desired an intimate relationship with us. You showed us that by being humble that you want us to come to you. And you showed us by being sacrificial that it was worth your life, it was worth your glory to make us new and whole. And we worship you for that. We want to be the church. We want to live like Jesus. We want to love one another. Would you help us with our continual distractions? Would you help us with our lack of faith? Would you help us to just ask, to just ask to be filled and that we would repent of the things that are floating around in our hearts and minds that don't need to be there and that by the power of your blood that cleanses us from those things. So I pray that you'd help us be humble and draw near to you as a community as we go through this series and help us as we approach the table to be reminded of our forgiveness and to worship you all the more. We ask everything in the name of King Jesus. Amen.